Our scripture reading today is from John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should watch, wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at All Souls. If you're new and visiting with us this morning, welcome. You picked a great Sunday, not only because Tommy and Sarah are here or because I'm preaching, uh, but because there's donuts afterwards. And so we're looking forward to celebrating that together. Uh, we started last week a study on the spiritual discipline and practice of hospitality. Hospitality. Now, listen to this again. The spiritual discipline and practice of Christ-centered hospitality, right? So there's, it's loaded in there. The reason why it's a discipline and a practice is because it doesn't come natural, right? Even all, all the, the southern debutantes who have learned from a very young age to put the doilies out and the cookies and all those kinds of things, like my grandmother... Even then, the kind of hospitality the gospel talks about doesn't come natural to us, as we'll see this morning. So it takes practice, like any skill, any sport, any hobby. It takes practice, intentional effort. It takes time. And then the second part is we're not just talking about uh, generic hospitality. 
uh, ordinary hospitality, hospitality, like limiting it uh, and putting it in a finite box, but really this eternal Christ-centered hospitality. And the reason why it's Christ-centered is because Jesus is at the center of it. If we don't have Jesus at the center of our hearts and our stories and our lives, if we're not in communion with him, then our capacity to show hospitality to others will be greatly, greatly diminished. But he's not just the center and the source of our hospitality. His presence and his likeness is also the goal, the trajectory. In Matthew 25, Jesus says to his disciples, you will see me and you have seen me. And they say, well, when did we see you? And he goes on to share, when you showed hospitality to others, you saw me. And similarly, when we show hospitality to others, we create the space where God might reveal himself to them as well. I want to start where Stephen began last week and then steal some more of his slides after that. But this is a quote from Simon Holt, who's Australian. That's as much as I remember. Uh, And he says this about hospitality. At its base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes. This is the ministry of facilitation. Providing a context in which people can feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business. But in its ordinariness is its real worth. Whatever it looks like at your own table, your own table is a sacred space. And one just as implicated by the lavish nature of God's grace as any other. And the word and the idea that I want you to hold on to there is space. Hospitality is creating space. Holding space. Protecting space. And not just a space for anybody or anything, but the space that the Holy Spirit enters into to bring welcome, to bring love, to bring the very presence and likeness of Jesus. When we think of hospitality, oftentimes it's really easy to just think about the table. And we are absolutely talking about what we do with our tables, right? I'm lucky enough at my house that we have like four or five tables, right? And, and, And you may not have a table yet, uh, Zach and Elizabeth, but you're getting one soon, right? And you're, and you're excited about that because you're excited to show hospitality to other people, to welcome them around the table. But thinking of hospitality just as what we do gathered around the table can't encompass everything that Christ-centered hospitality entails. Holy space for the Spirit that we share with one another holding space for the Spirit to move. What I think about when you have a dinner party, there's a couple things that you're in control of. We're hosting a summer supper on Wednesday. Hopefully you've signed up for one already. If you want to host one and show hospitality, send us an email. We'll add you to the list. And one of the things when you're the host is you have control over where we eat. I think about last year when we were doing our summer suppers, most of them outside in the summer, and we didn't have that control. But now in my house, we don't eat on the sofa unless dad's not home, and then it seems like everybody eats on the sofa. 
But when you host around the table, we think about that like you're in control of where we eat, where we don't, what's going to be included. Uh, The second thing that you're in control of as the host is the timing. We decide when the next meal, the next part of the meal, the next activity comes along. We decide when everybody's going to leave because we put on our jammies or we just head upstairs unexpectedly or get out the broom, whatever you do to signal. But the hospitality of God, we're not always in control of the limits of what's going to be required of us. And, And we're almost never in control of the timing of how our hospitality is received, how the Holy Spirit will enter into that space whether or not people will receive the love and care that God has for them, the welcome and the peace. And so I want to introduce another, uh, another dimension of hospitality with another image. As we hold space and create space, earlier we said in our assurance of grace, quoting from Romans 8, the sufferings of this present Age are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And we know that the whole creation groans together with anticipation. And in that passage in Romans 8, Paul is talking about the groans of childbirth and the birth of new life, new love, new welcome, new holiness into the world saying that all creation is groaning. And in light of that, we are welcome like a midwife. We are welcome to be there, not in control of the process, not in control of the timing, not able to prevent all the messiness that's involved when new life comes in. We hold and protect that space. It requires patience vulnerability. We can't determine what God will do or when he will do it, but we show up being present to create a space for presence, namely God's presence. And what this demands of us is something I like to think of as holy suspicion or hope. The holy suspicion that God is up to something. And I like suspicion over hope because I may not like what he's up to. It may not be exactly what I had in mind. I didn't think they were ever going to go back to Colorado. (laughs) But I have a holy suspicion that God is up to something. And so in the messiness, in the timing, in the things that we would rather not choose, We can wait patiently, vulnerably, not in control, not perfectly, but in his presence, faithfully. Hospitality is absolutely about sharing your table, but it's also about exposing your heart, your need for control, your need for cleanliness, exposing your preferences and your will, giving them over to God in trust. Letting your heart groan the needs of others. And this is what Jesus did his entire life. As we've been looking at the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus go around and do this time and again. 
Not only does Jesus very literally, with food, welcome people to the table. And when he's out on the countryside and there's no table to be found, everybody have a seat anyway. But Jesus creates that presence, that hospitality, welcomes them to the table, even when food is not involved. This is the act of grace. With everyone he encounters, he sets a holy table and hosts them. He's patient. He's gracious. He gives them his attention, his ear. He listens well. He speaks when the Spirit moves and the will of the Father is revealed. And yet it's messy. Not everyone agrees. He has to be patient. Not everyone gets it right away. Even here in John 13, he goes to wash Peter's feet and Peter doesn't get it yet. And he says to him, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will. We have to be ready to show hospitality to people that says, you're not going to get what this means yet. But I've got the holy suspicion that through the Holy Spirit, someday you will. And so we roll up our sleeves and we get messy and we enter in. This is the center because this is what Jesus has done for me. But it's also the goal because he says, go and do likewise. I got a question for you. And I want you to think about, just it's a thought experiment, so just think about a, a real answer. Uh, but the answer is like, what is the meaning of life? We don't have all day, because uh, the donuts will get cold. But what is the meaning of life? Okay, every philosopher, every musician, uh, every chef, I've been watching this show, Somebody Feed Phil, it's really good on Netflix, check it out. Uh, but everybody, no matter what kind of artistry they're doing, whatever their skill or their task or their job is, we found some sort of goodness in it and we want to connect it to that great purpose in our life. And in the show over and over again, when Phil finds somebody, whether they're making gelato or they're making bread, he says, this is your purpose. You found it. And he doesn't get that maybe that's insulting. <laughs> maybe I'm made for more than just gelato. Probably not. But what is the purpose and the meaning? See, we're all looking for it. And, I, and if you don't remember anything else about this, I want to submit to you that this is the answer. This is the answer. If you want your life to be transformed, you want the lives of the people that you love, parents, siblings, kids, neighbors, friends, strangers, enemies, if you want it to be transformed, Jesus gives the answer. It's right here. And he does what you're not supposed to do because he answers a question with a question, right? Question, what is the meaning of life? His answer is the question, do you understand what I've done for you? The meaning of our life is to understand what he has done for us. All the gelato and all of the bread and all the hospitality and the love and the justice and the mercy and everything will flow if we understand what he has done for us. I think about how easy it is to not practice the presence of God 
especially when there's other people around, when his invitation is maybe to come and to listen and to weep or to celebrate, to learn, to eat. If we don't know how to be present with Jesus, and we don't know how to be present with ourselves, we'll have no room and space to be present with anybody else. How easy it is to be short with somebody, to be angry, to be judgmental, to get lost, to lose the presence of God because of the circumstances that we face. We all know what that is like. But Jesus invites us in. Jesus invites us in by coming and doing something and sending the Spirit that we would understand so that we can build a life. And I, and I submit to you a discipline and a habit. We got to work at it of every day rooting our life, our choices, our calendar rooting our preferences, our goals, all our aspirations, locating our hurts, everything in. Do you understand what I've done for you? If Jesus doesn't come to wash our feet, to enter in, to show hospitality, in the messiness and the vulnerability and the patience and the grace that's required, then the command to go and do likewise will be impossible. But if you understand what he's done for you, then everything can be different. There's a show that, I don't know if it's still on TV, uh, because everything I watch now is streaming, unless it's the Braves. Um, There's a show called Undercover Boss. And you've probably seen it, right? So the undercover boss is usually like a CEO or a founder of a company. They put on a bad mustache or a wig, and then they pretend to film a reality show where they're just a new hourly employee, and they go in and they do all the menial tasks that are there. And then they come away with this new perspective for everybody who works underneath them. And then they take off the mustache and they go back to the top of the food chain. One of the most amazing things in this passage, and maybe in all of scripture, is found in verses three and four. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he had come from God and was returning to God. Mission accomplished. Everything is his. All glory and power and honor. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. In our world, in our culture... We live in this space where we want everything to be up and to the right. We want the next experience. We want to reach the next income bracket. 
We want to expand our church to the next service, but let's not go back to three services. Everything that we want, we want the next, next, next. And when Jesus has everything, where does he go? Down to the bottom. In, in the first century, Jewish slaves weren't allowed to wash the feet. It was beneath them. Only the lowest of the low were allowed to wash the feet. And the master, the one who was all power is given to him, all glory is due him, empties himself. He takes off the outer robe. That the hospitality that the disciples don't even know they need can come into their lives. See, friends, if we understand what it is that Jesus has done for us, it doesn't make it any less scary to get naked, to take off the outer garments, the garments of our reputation, of meeting the expectations of other people, the outer garments of productivity, of coming across as all-knowing or wise or caring or loving or generous. It doesn't get any easier to take it off unless you know him. Unless you've seen him take it off for you and get down in the messy place. Do you understand what he's done for you? God's call in our life, and I'm not just talking big picture, but this week, when you encounter somebody who needs to talk, somebody who needs a bite to eat, when you encounter somebody who needs an apology, when you encounter somebody who's in need of power, somebody who's in need, and whatever the way of that need is, and God invites you to show hospitality, We need to go in with the assurance of knowing what he's done for us. Otherwise, it may appear beneath us. Otherwise, we might put on the fake mustache and the wig and we go for a time, but then we get out of there. I've witnessed a couple of foot washings in my time, and the weirdest one uh, was at a wedding. Uh, And it was at a wedding where somebody wore their original wedding dress from the early 80s, and it was giant. And I had no idea how they were going to get it all out of the way to get to the feet. And that was the first time I ever saw it, before I ever heard this passage, before I ever knew what was going on. So you can imagine what that was like for me. And I think about in 2020, uh, Dan Cathy, Louis Giglio, and Lecrae gathering together, talking about Uh, talking about race and reconciliation. And one of the things that white pastors especially love to do is we we love to put on that act and go and to wash the feet because we, we believe this is true. This is the way of the kingdom. This is what God is calling us to do. But one of the things that, that Lecrae said at that time as they were getting ready, he said, if you really want to wash my feet, if you really want to enter into my vulnerability, I had a bath this morning. I've been wearing socks but you can give me some Chick-fil-A stock. Foot washing can fall into one of these two categories that we looked at last week. If you'll show the next slide, there's a distinction. And this is what everybody talked about after the sermon last week. So I think we're going to keep coming back to this one. There's a difference between entertaining and showing hospitality. 
the hospitality industry, as it says, and just leave it up there until I uh, figure out what else I'm going to say. Um, but there's a difference between hospitality and, and entertainment. And what we call the hospitality industry is really the service and entertainment industry. Because the hotel takes care of you, but then you pay them. The pastors get down and wash feet, and then the church grows. The reputation for their humility grows and expands. And so the question of hospitality versus entertainment, I think, is this. Who benefits? And if you want to know who benefits, you have to ask the question, well, who sets the table? Who's defining where we eat, where we sit, what the needs are? Do I have the space to entertain? Do I have the time to listen? Do I have the food in my card to offer you? Do I have the space in my priorities and schedule to give you a ride? Do I have the emotional and spiritual assurance to listen to your differing view? Who defines the spaces that we enter into? When I define that space, all I'm doing is entertaining. It's about me. It's exclusive to what I have and what I want to offer. I'm in control. The timing is mine. But the hospitality that God invites us into is a different way of life. It's not just around the dinner table, but it's everywhere that we go to give our attention, to give our calendars, to give our priorities, to give our expectations and our goals away, to be reshuffled by the answer to the question, do you know what I've done for you? God's invitation to hospitality, I think a lot of times, it's not really where we want to go. Peter's offended that Jesus gets down to wash his feet. I think what Peter probably would have added was to say, Jesus, if nobody else is here to do it, like, look, let's just not do it or make Matthew do it. Let's just not do it. We, we don't need it, right? Like, we can pay people to do that, Jesus. Because we're, we're on the rise. We're taking over, baby. We're up and to the right. But the cross, the vulnerability, the suffering, the humility of Jesus exposes and offends everything in us that needs to go, that needs to die. Everything in us that's trying to answer the question of what's the purpose of life with some answer that's, I did this. I got that. They did this to me. But the only question that's worth asking is, do you know what he's done for you? When we know that, then the way up is down. The timing is slow. Patience will be required. And it's going to get messy. But this is the hospitality that God calls us to. The presence where the Spirit shows up, where Jesus is made real, where the world is transformed.
My favorite Presbyterian minister. Well, there's two. There's three. Hey, bud. Um, But one of my top three favorite Presbyterian ministers is a man by the name of Fred Rogers. You might have been to his neighborhood on PBS sometime. And in his last commencement address, Mr. Rogers, in challenging the graduates to go out and to live in such a way where they would meet the needs, show hospitality, love their neighbor, demonstrate compassion, all the things that he held up and lifted and commended to them, what he started with was this. From the time you were very little, you've had people who smiled you into smiling. People who have talked you into talking. People who have sung you into singing and loved you into loving. To go and do likewise is to let the loving and the talking and the smiling and the singing and the vulnerability and the glory and the majesty of the self-emptying, self-sacrificing God of the universe to move in your heart that we would go and do likewise. Amen.